Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Barely Bookish podcast. Uh, we are talking today about the 2020 Emma movie, and we are joined once again by Bethany from the Prince Guy Fan Pod. Hello. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah. I'm excited about this movie, mostly because it's uh, easy to grab because it's on Netflix. No, it's not. A- I don't know why he thinks it's on Netflix. Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I think it's because Queen's Gambit is on Netflix, uh-huh. so I just keep getting thrown off. Also, I did see that there's a Gwyneth Paltrow edition, and I was like, hmm. yeah, it's from the early 90s. I I don't have fond memories of it. I don't remember uh-huh. it a lot, but I don't remember enjoying it either. I've never seen it, so I was like, should I watch it? Maybe. We'll see. But I think I saw that she had like a bow and arrow or something. Yeah, I think she. it's supposed to be a play on Cupid. Oh. Like she's Cupid. That makes sense. It, 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 does it make sense? Okay. I mean, I guess. Like, does it make sense? Okay, okay. <laughs> like for a photo yes but like if she's gonna be using this bow and arrow throughout the entire thing i'm gonna be confused i mean she doesn't like use a bow and arrow necessarily it's just like to promote it but uh, he- here's my problem with the Gwyneth paltrow one mm-hmm. um it's very 90s mm. and period pieces need to need to be somewhat classic yeah so that they can, because it's a movie that, it's a story that was written hundreds of years ago and takes place hundreds of years ago. So it shouldn't have a 90s vibe to it. Yeah. But when you watch it, it's like, yep, this is 90s. Mm. Like if you go back and you watch the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, it's magnificent by the way, mm-hmm. um, you don't watch it and go, damn, this was definitely made in 2005. Yeah, that's it's fair. Ki- it kind of has that timelessness to it. Mm-hmm. whereas if you watch emma you're like yeah this was like 1990 something it has to be and so i don't much care for that when it comes to classical uh interpretations just because it pu- i think it pulls you out of the story that makes sense i kind of yeah. want to watch it just to know but i don't know if i'll do a little episode about it no totally totally watch it just don't yeah. be surprised if you'd rather watch this one because <laughs> I, I mean really enjoyed this i yeah. thought it was adorable yeah, it's really good. And if you haven't watched it yet, it is available on Amazon Prime, but you can actually watch it for free with something called Free v- View. Free Vo. Free Vo. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Which is fine. It's the commercials weren't annoying enough. Like there was like there was like four yeah. commercial breaks and it was always like one or two commercials. It was enough that you could like go pee and come back. That's what yeah. it was. For me, it was a good break because I was also trying to do laundry at the same time. So uh, I had time to quickly run, switch a load around, and Not come back. Yeah. There. Sometimes That's you got to multitask. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But let's talk about this movie. First off, I really like the actress for Emma. Love her. Yeah, I think she did a great job. She did a wonderful job. And Harriet. Yeah, yeah, Harriet both. was give that girl some kind of award. That was amazing. Every Truly. time she came on screen, I was like, I simultaneously, I just want to hug you and like give you a puppy and like tell you you're pretty. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. I just want <laughs> throughout the whole film was impeccable. Yeah, there was no one where I was like, mm, you know, like- I I could have had more from Jane Fairfax, but I think that was more of a director choice than the actress. 
Yeah, I think so. Like, but I think she was really pretty. Like, she seems like someone that would very much be like a competition to Emma. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was a good choice. I do really love the moment of her like busting it out on the piano, though. That was oh, yeah. so. The yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if that actress like Nobody's actually knows. Good as you, Emma. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know if that actress actually knows how to play the piano or not, but, like, either she way. Me. Yeah, I was convinced. I believe she can play it. Yeah. Yeah, she did great. I never know if it's, like, they choose the actress because they can play the Even piano. The singing and stuff, too. Like, yeah. do they actually sing? Like, who knows? But I was convinced. It's fine. <laughs> um... I do like, though, that in this edition we got to see Miss Taylor's wedding, which yeah. Elton presided over. That wasn't awkward at all. <laughs> he's such a weird, like, he's so creepy. He's so goofy, but then in the carriage he was such a creep. Yeah, I got like, Colin's he was really energy. He up until the carriage ride, and in the carriage ride I was, like, genuinely fearful for Emma. Yeah. And she held her ground. She was like, um, you forget yourself. Mm-hmm. He was like, blah. She was like, fine, get out, walk. I don't care. Yeah, literally. Like, I was kind of mad that they left her alone with him in that carriage ride. Yeah, I that was a little too... It honestly felt a little out of character for Mr. Knightley, but I think that maybe because Mr. Elton was like clergy, they gave him, I don't know, a free pass that they shouldn't have. To be honest, I was guessing Mr. Knightley assumed that... Emma rode with her parents and didn't realize. Or that she would ride alone. Yeah. And not with a strange man. Yeah. I'm guessing he just didn't yeah. like put that together, which is fine. I, I'll give him a or pass for that possible one. Mr. Knightley had arranged for her to ride alone and Elton saw an opportunity. Yeah. Because that, that's also plausible. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I, I love seeing Emma Knightley in this one. I think it's I don't know if it's more obvious. I, probably a little bit more obvious that Knightley likes Emma in this one, but not like overly so. No, I think they do a good job of the uh, of not playing it up like he likes her, especially in the beginning. Um, and then especially when he snaps at her over Mrs. Bates, like, oh my God, that scene was incredible. Yeah. The look on everyone's face and then Miss Bates like bursting into tears, like, I was like, somebody slap Emma. Like, what is going on? And then thankfully, thankfully, Mr. Knightley snapped at her at least. And I was like, this is like the only time I would condone this kind of toxicity in a relationship. But somebody really does need to vex her. Like, Mm -hmm. that was so unnecessarily mean. Yeah. And you could see Emma's face fall when she like realized what she said. And then she was like, oh, look at that. I took it too far. Yeah. She's like, ah, shit. Yeah bad girl Emma and I just I also I, don't think she gave enough of an apology to Mrs. Bates I don't think she, so either she goes up with a fruit basket and she's like oh I'm sorry Jane's not feeling well and I'm like you got anything else to say Emma literally like come on you have to have something else to say literally I'm like be nice to her like your neighbor and someone who watched you grow up who's only this like it was so like well spoken about it too he was like he was like, she, you know, he's, well, she complains too much. And Mr. Knightley was, as she has a right to do. She's single. She has to spend all of her time taking care of her bedridden mother. She's poor and she'll probably never be anything else for the rest of her life. Let her complain. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mr. Knightley threw Emma in her place for a second. And like, I like that Mr. Knightley can always like put himself in other people's shoes, you know? He doesn't allow his stature to, uh, you know, the way that Emma does. Emma feels very privileged, um, mm-hmm. but Mr. Knightley doesn't let it make him be like prejudiced towards others. I, I will say I liked when he um, told off Mrs. Elton when she when she was like, basically she demanded to have a party at his house. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, and I'll invite all my friends. And he was like, no, no, it's my house. And then she was like, but it's my party. And yeah. I'm a woman. And he was like, well, only one woman can invite people to my house. And she's like, oh, yeah. And who's that? And he's like, my future wife, which mm-hmm. you are not. So mm-hmm. I will be inviting people to my house. You're lucky I'm letting you throw a party there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the look Emma gave him, I was like, <laughs> kill it. Love that. Love it. Love it. I love them so much. I did. I genuinely like one of the standout moments in this film was the scene with Mrs. Bates. I genuinely wanted to simultaneously like hug her and slap Emma. Like that was some, that was some fantastic acting. And I love everybody else in that scene. Like their faces are just like, what do we do? We're not supposed to correct Emma because of her stature, but that was some bullshit. Yeah. I also really like the scene of Knightley just like falling to the ground at like his house. Like He's after like, oh, he thinks Emma day. doesn't like him. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so good. I will this is such a mean thing. I don't even know if I should say it out loud, but like his thumb when he caressed her face, did you see his thumb took up like half her face? <laughs> no, I didn't realize that. Tall, and yeah. he's like not so he has I don't know like when he was touching her face it was like it was like her whole face and it was just like his thumb and the bottom half of his hand and I was like he doesn't seem that big and she doesn't seem that small but like in this moment it's like she's so tiny Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like a mean thing to say but it just it it looked a little awkward it was like oh my god she's so little I I don't think it's a mean thing to say as someone with big hands I would be like yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like my hands are gigantic it's fine i don't have big hands but i have fat i got fat fingers i, I got have chubby, little, chubby little fingers like my hand is like literally bigger than my face hmm. must be no, nice i think my hand is like proportionate to my face um i love harriet and emma i think that they have such a strong um chemistry as uh friends in this film i think they did a great job of establishing that connection together i i genuinely whenever harriet cried i cried basically because she's she's so sweet she's so naive she does everything just to make emma like her um and then it's you know in the end when she's like i what do you mean mr martin and she's like well you know maybe mr martin she's like I refused Martin because you told me to. Mm-hmm. And then she like runs out of the room and Emma's like, Oh no, what do I do? And I'm like, you've done enough. Like, yeah. Literally. I, I do like that. You know, they really played up Harriet's innocence in this. Like the actress did an amazing job. Such a wonderful job. And I liked her um, slow transition. Like in the beginning of the film, um, she was kind of plain and awkward in terms of, 
she didn't style her clothes or her hair. Um, her bonnets were always very plain. She didn't seem to have an affection for ribbons. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, she actually kind of starts to look like Emma. She wears similar dresses and gloves. She does her hair with the little ringlets. She has um, the same bonnet style where it had that giant cove and the the ribbon wrapped around it like she actually did she started carrying that teeny tiny little excuse for a purse i don't even know what they put in there uh, what no. did they have it to put in a purse back then tissues um, i guess maybe i don't know tissues yeah emma could have used it during that reveal scene right like oh why do you have a bloody nose what yeah is i was like what was that about <laughs> i was like is this just like to add drama like are we saying she gets a bloody nose when she's stressed out yeah i don't know why the bloody nose was a thing yeah, I don't. Maybe I should Google it. Like, why? Yeah, so we don't have people emailing in. Maybe it's in the book and we just didn't notice it. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Inspired by the director's own affliction with nodes bleeds, it was simply because it was during a moment of high stress. I guess so, but Emma has been in high stressful situations the entire film. Yeah. Uh, Name and point the scene in the carriage where she's basically physically assaulted by Elton. Yeah. And that didn't cause a nosebleed. I don't like it. That's weird. I think it was it was for drama. Probably. Felt like (laughs) it was unnecessary. I was like, it was for drama. Yeah. I also don't love the fact that Elton like basically landed on her boobs that was weird yeah it it, from my vantage point because i was trying very very much to look at everything i could since i knew we were going to talk about it Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if this was intentional but it looked like he threw himself like the carriage jolted and he you can see the actor like push himself off the chair so i don't know if that was like a choice to try and make it look like he had taken advantage of the carriage shaking. And so he threw himself closer to her or if that's just like how they did it so that he could. Yeah. yeah I don't know. We could Google that. I can Google that really quick and find out. Yeah. It might be both. It might be nothing. I don't know. It's weird though, that this came out in 2020, like all pre pandemic. <laughs> like this is the kind of movie that could have come out during the pandemic because they don't have to touch each other (laughs) true i don't see anything except people like not happy about it not happy that he did it yeah all i'm getting are a bunch of like emma 10 things wrong with the new adaptation of jane austen classic Let's talk. What's the? What are those ten things wrong with it? Okay, <laughs> this is by ScreenRant.com. Okay. So number ten is the aesthetic, which. Oh, I liked the. Aesthetic. I liked it. I had no problem with it. Yeah. Um, they said that it's distracting because it's a Wes Anderson esque filter. Which I don't really understand. They said because it's like bubble gum. There's what? It's like bubblegum aesthetic. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of pink. It is bubblegum aesthetic. Yeah. I'm a child who's playing Cupid with other people's lives. Exactly. I have no problem with that. So yeah, I agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah. They said that in this one, Emma is unsympathetic. 
she is far too snipping with her remarks, which are like pretty much straight out of the book. So yeah, uh, remains basing it off of other film adaptations. I get it, but not if they yeah. are basing it off of the book because that I mean that is what it is. They said that uh, she's a mean girl, even when she goes through her metamorphosis in the film's third act, which I don't find true, but. Like, I didn't notice that anyways, but whatever. Um, key plot points cut... Uh, key plot elements cut for time. Uh, says they removed Jane Fairfax almost entirely, which... I don't really think so. Um, it said that because they cut parts of Jane Fairfax, Jane is the main heroine, and it's important to understand why she isn't. Hmm. But I'm like, again, I don't really agree with that. Maybe I'm just like, rose-colored glasses because I like this movie, but... I think a lot of it has to do with, like, if you've read the book, though. Yeah. I don't know who they're, like, the other movie they're comparing this to, or what they're comparing. Like, honestly... These, like, review points are really, really small, too, which just makes me feel like they're just ranting to rant. Um, So they said that this is not as much fun, and then, quote, whether it's due to being overshadowed by other adaptations or because the crackling satire inherent to Jane Austen's book Emma just didn't capture the sardonic playfulness of its source material. Hmm. And I'm like, hmm. Uh, then they said Mr. Knightley is too young. The actor. Actually, I kind of felt like they played him a little older than I would have. But he is meant to be, is it 14 years older than her? Yeah, he's meant to be in his 40s or something. And he looks like he's in his 40s. So. Um, they said that it has millennial humor. (laughs) Yeah, he's supposed to be 16 years older. So she's supposed to be 21 and he's supposed to be 37. Yeah, so I feel like he looked about 37. I, uh, um, they said Emma wasn't known for being nonchalant, disinterested, and apathetic about what's going on around her. Rather, she was dupiously but innocently so. Uh, she was duplicitous duplicitous but innocently so which made her much better metamorphosis than slowly developing a conscious by osmosis Hmm. again i'm just feeling like they're really just trying to rip it apart for no reason because i feel like these are just kind of like weird claims um i I don't want to like you know everybody's entitled their own opinion but at least from someone who's read the book yeah uh, I think Emma is very disinterested um, in other people's feelings. She she sees the world as the way that she sees it. She's right, not everybody else. So uh, I, I do think she's insensitive. I mean, yeah. the scene with Mrs. Bates is almost word for word from the book. And that mm-hmm. was a pretty insensitive thing for her to do. So I, I don't know if I would agree. But uh, again, everybody has different interpretations. So... Yeah, they said that they didn't like the pacing. Um, 
they said there was no chemistry in the cast. Uh, they talking about how much I loved the chemistry. I know. So <laughs> let me just read this for you. They said, um, Mr. Knightley was far too stodgy and Emma far too snippy to engage in conversations that were anything other than verbal spalls, sprawls with the intent to draw blood. They did not read the book. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah. There's no I way. Compare it to source material. It has to be the original source material. Yeah. I'm like, what are they reading? Because that was literally like from the book. So here's one I just found, which is positive from the New York Times. So you know it's it's credible. Um, the millennial Emma respects its elders in a way that is uh, in a way that is recent popularity of spiky costume dramas, but does not stray too far from its source material. There you go. I will yeah. say that this one did put number one, the nosebleed was the main problem. And I agree. Yeah, with that. Cause it just doesn't when, if you want to get creative in terms of stuff like that as a director, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has no business in something that already has a source material. Yeah. So And it doesn't make enough sense to me because the the concept was that it was during a high-stress situation. She had multiple high-stress situations that were far more stressful than the man that she loves saying that he also loves her. Mm -hmm. So that that would be my only uh, qualm with it is that it just doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah. I love reading reviews of movies. I do too. I think it's a good little tidbit to add. So, I, yeah, I don't. I think Screen Rant didn't see the movie. Uh, New York Times. I've. It sounded like, from what you said, it seemed fine, right? Yeah. So the New York Times that I'm reading says, um, while I loved the comedy and disingenued humor. The nosebleed was exposing and a little unnecessary. Yes, it creates drama, but only from the eyes of someone in the 21st century. This book was not written in the 21st century, and so the characters and their actions should not reflect that. A period piece is meant to be just that, a period piece. We can offer our own interpretations based on our own experiences in life, as well as the advantages we've made since that time frame. However, the nosebleed is an unnecessary inclusion to add high drama and stakes in a world where we now expect bloodshed in every film. This is the case in the 21st century where we constantly use violence as a way of entertainment, but it would not have been so during Jane Austen's time. So he's saying that like we've become accustomed to violence in films. Mm -hmm. So when we have a film that doesn't have it, we have to created to keep it on par with everything else that's grotesque in our society, which I don't necessarily disagree. I do think that that's a good point that our society has become uh, highly entertained by such things. Mm -hmm. uh, Whereas that kind of vulgarity would not have been as socially acceptable in Jane Austen's time. I mean, think about um, Elvis who used to dance with his pelvis, right? Mm-hmm. No one would show him on TV from the waist down because of his gyrating was so inappropriate. And yeah. we just had a very talented halftime show, but a halftime show where women were shaken. Literally like 50 half naked women were on stage shaking their butts. So we've definitely uh, adapted in how much we expose ourselves over even just from 
the you know 1950s to now let alone mm-hmm. from Jane Austen's time yeah. and I feel like there's ways to make it creative if you're doing a period piece like if you look at 2005 Pride and Prejudice and 1995's yes. Pride and Prejudice those Darcy's are played very very differently and you know one each of the I love about the 2005 one is that he's played I think oftentimes his pride is in the in film adaptations. That's what they focus on. They focus on him being prideful. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 2005 one, I think it's pretty obvious that he's like socially awkward. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, part of it is that he's prideful, but also he like doesn't know anybody. So yeah. he, uh, that's like, go to a dance with your friend. I'm going to stand next to my friend too. I don't know anybody. And my friend is really social. So I'm just going to follow him around. Um, I thought they did a much better job in in the 2005 version of establishing that difference that maybe it wasn't just pride. Maybe he was also a little socially awkward. Yeah. Um, I also, I think you and I've talked about this before. I also genuinely appreciated the way that Charlotte was played in the 2005 version where she was so open, so vulnerable. She came right out and said like, I don't have a lot of prospects. He wants to marry me. What are my other options? I don't live in a society where I get to have any other options. Whereas I feel like in the 1995, she's almost played off as um, a, a vixen. We see her in the 1995 version, you know, uh, uh, Lizzie, Lizzie rejects Collins. And then in the very same scene, we see Charlotte like approach him like, hey, don't worry, there's other fish in the sea. Yeah. Whereas in the 2005 version, it's kind of a blindside to Lizzie, but also to the to the audience. And then it's revealed why Charlotte would even say yes. In the 1995 version, it's just like, yep, that's who he married. Yeah, I think the 2005 is drastically more well done, for sure. And again, maybe it's just because we expect those interpretations in today's society of entertainment, like like the... Who's the author of this New York Times that I'm over here quoting? Um, the author who wrote it. Uh, Anna Lazowski in 2020. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it really just depends on your interpretation. Me, personally, I enjoyed this far more than I enjoyed the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow version. Um, but I will say... Nothing is going to beat Clueless just because I love Clueless so much. I the whole time I was watching it, I was like, "But this is how they did it in Clueless!" Like, <laughs> I can't wait to watch Clueless again. It's gonna be so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good! I almost want to watch it like right now and then meet with you in three hours. Or oh, are we watching it together? Yeah, but I just kind of want to watch it now. We're doing that tomorrow, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what my schedule says. Yeah. So say if you really wanted to, I probably can make it work. If we wanted to do, just do it immediately after. I like kind of want to. <laughs> we can. Let's do that. Like when we're done here, we'll just watch it because I really good. like it. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Beautiful. But we can continue this discussion. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we had to break really quick. As far as adaptations go, this is my favorite that I've seen. I would put this on par with Pride and Prejudice from 2005, mm-hmm. which is perhaps my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. So that's, I think and in terms of interpretations and adaptations, this did what it was supposed to do. It represented the high points from the book. It kept, um, it was very respectful to the original content and the original character depictions. Mm-hmm. And it was entertaining from start to finish by telling me a complete story with 
uh, character development and plot continuation. So good. So good. I love this movie a lot. Oh, I really liked Robert Martin in this movie. Oh, sorry. What? Were there any like standout scenes for you? (sighs) I don't know. Like I, there was so much of this movie that I loved to be honest. Like, I liked just seeing Robert Martin looking like a little lost puppy. That was so good. Um, he I, looked so genuinely sad. And then that ending when they kiss, I'm like, huh, I know. I know. That was the one thing that I was like, I know it's technically not okay for in a period piece, but I was like, let it happen. Let it happen. It's one of those things where the way that they did it worked, though, because that could have happened and nobody saw, right? Mm-hmm. And they did it in a way that was very discreet. He was like, you know, come hide behind this pillar. It was very quick. And then they were like, okay, but now like back to decorum. Um, and at that point they were already engaged to be married. So it wasn't necessarily inappropriate for them to be affectionate in private, which they technically were mm-hmm. in private, right? Because nobody else was there. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it took a little bit of liberty, but I still was like, I was just so happy for Harriet because she spent this whole movie getting shot on. So. I know. Oh my God, her acting when she cried, I was like, oh my God, this girl is really crying. I know. I was like, what did you have to think of to start crying? The scene when she's like, when Mr. Elton is like, ugh, I'm not going to dance with her. And then Knightley, like literally the crowd parts as Knightley walks across the room and asks her to dance. I'm like, Oh my god! Yeah, I love this. I know it's so good, so good. Horrible. I love it so much. I love it so much. What did you think of um, Bill Nighy as as the dad? I don't know any actors' names, so I'm glad you told me who it was. Um, he was on Doctor Who and Love Actually, so that's the only reason I know him. Yeah. Um, I really loved him as the dad. I think he did an awesome job. The scene when he gets all of the like partitions up, I was like crying. One to the left and to the right. There's a little one in front of him. There's a big one. It's like literally an alcove of partitions. That and then he's like, you know, I feel a draft about the knees. Do you feel a draft about the knees? And he's like, "Mm." and then he like looks over and goes, a draft, a draft about the knees. Yes, he's like, you sit over there. (laughs) They like wall it all off very beginning when it happens and nobody feels it and he's like this taylor would have felt it (laughs) (laughs) so good when we laughed at that moment i was like miss taylor would have felt it yeah 100 miss taylor would have felt it (laughs) so good he does an awesome job he like it's a perfect mix of like being able to like serious be serious but also be serious in a goofy way right like, I don't know if anybody else could have delivered as good of a job as he did. I think the the acting, the casting was just, it was just so well done. And it was such great interpretations. There were definitely characters that annoyed me in the book that I was annoyed by in the movie, which I think is a, another, like, tell. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Elton, for example, was very forward in the books, you know, like, I demand to have a party at Mr. Knightley's house and then demanding that she be the only one who could invite people to the party at his house, then getting frustrated when he said, no, no, I'll invite the people. Mm-hmm. She literally in the in the books and in the movies, because they kept the dialogue pretty on point. She literally is like, 
uh, well, I'm the woman, so you don't mess with that stuff. I'll do the invites. And he was like, but it's my house. So, yeah. 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 I thought it was so good. And the way they like cast Mrs. Ellen, I don't know. She, she was like so perfect. And I don't know what about her like made it perfect. Like they dressed her like fashionably, but off, if that makes sense. It was like, I don't know. It's, what's, it was like she was trying to be fashionable, but didn't quite understand the the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if someone else was dressing her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I liked it. I thought it was done really well. Let's see if I have any other things I've really got to say. Oh, I did really like that Emma's drawings weren't professional because that is one of my biggest pet peeves when they're like, oh, she draws like, okay. And then they like pull out like a gorgeous, like probably sells for $10,000 art piece. Oh, I thought it was great. It was like, this isn't bad. It's better than what I could do. Yeah. It's not going on the fridge. (laughs) I did like the extravagant reveal of the frame that they, that he used. So um, extra. It's like a grandfather clock, and then the doors open, and it's this picture. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, how could that not be misinterpreted, Mr. Elton? Like, come on. Yeah. I, yeah. um, the, have you read A Court of Thorns and Roses, though? Or no? I've read the first one, but I haven't read beyond that. I know you're not on TikTok, but have you seen like the discussion where they think, like, um, fair, 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 sorry, wow, I stutter. So my stutter came out really bad. Sorry. Feyre's drawings are actually really bad. No, but I like the, I like the conclusion. Yeah. There's like a whole fan theory that like her drawings are awful and everyone else is just like, Oh, thanks. It's this thing. Like for me personally, that's a, a red flag, I guess. Um, it's this thing where people give you a compliment to spare your feelings, but really they're just misguiding. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was a kid, everybody told me that I was a good singer. And every time I sang, it was, you did such a good job and you're so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sang everywhere I went. I sang. I sang uh, at school. I sang in choirs. Um, I did uh, every year I would do Christmas songs with the temple and church and stuff. Mm-hmm. I I took vocal lessons. When I was in junior high, I was in choir. When I was in high school, I was in choir. I went to competitions. Uh, when I was in junior college, I would go to places and sing. I sang the national anthem at a couple like local sporting events. I performed at state fairs and I was just always, always singing. And it wasn't until I was like 21, 22 mm-hmm. that people were like, you know, you could have another like profession or pursuit. And I'm like, what? Everybody's always said I'm a good singer. I can't sing for shit, Rachel. <laughs> People just my whole life did not want to be like mean to me. So they were like, you're such a good singer. They lied to my oh. face to the point where I was like, this is a legit career path, but it was never a career path for me because I can't sing. Like, I'm like the girl from my best friend's wedding thinking I'm like mm-hmm. crushing it and I'm I, somebody should take the microphone away. Like, even my husband, who loves me dearly, like if I sing too loud sometimes around the house, because it's hard. That's a hard habit to break. If you if you spend your whole life singing, mm-hmm. it's a hard habit to break. And I sometimes don't realize I'm doing it. But you, like even sometimes he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> he just like randomly like covers his ears oh or, or 
Keys because we're gamers, right? So he'll get his headphones and just like subtly put them on. (laughs) So our headphones are really fancy and noise canceling, but actually noise canceling. You can't hear shit. So (laughs) amazing. It's one of those things that it always bothers me if someone gives too nice of a compliment where it doesn't need to be. You don't want to give like a backhanded compliment. And if it's children, obviously we want to encourage them to like pursue their dreams. But I feel like I would have done so much better in my life if at some point before I was 22 and trying to sing in public in front of other people, Mm -hmm. someone had been nice enough to be like, you should not do that. Literally. I I get that because, I mean, I I had a teacher once who, when she, like, so she's an author now, but when she was a kid, she, everybody would tell, told her that she, like, was an amazing writer, all this stuff. And so she just always thought she didn't need to try. She didn't need to learn anything because she's already amazing. What better could she do? And so she, like, submitted a paper and she got a, like a writing paper and she got a C on it. And the te- she went up to the teacher and she goes, um, what the hell? You know, like I'm an amazing writer. And apparently the teacher was like, I mean, you're good, but your stuff just takes forever. You know, you're way too like, de- like gave her all the criticism that like she's never gotten before. And she's like, oh shit. Like, you're right. I wish someone would have said that to me years ago. Yeah. Um, so that I knew that, but it's, you know, it's like when you have something in your teeth, nobody wants to be the one that tells you, but how long do you want to walk around and no one has said anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just tell me. That's I'm awesome. to a point now in my life where you're not going to hurt my feelings. It's even with my writing, like I, I have a critique partner and I have to I have to be like very honest with her and she has to be very honest with me because it's not going to improve if she's like, great job. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my writing is crap is as crappy as my singing. (laughs) I like to think I might have some talent somewhere in the world, but whenever I send people my writing, I'm like, don't tell me how bad it is. I know it's bad. I don't want to hear about it yet because it's not finished. This is the ugly first draft. Okay. Leave me alone. writing meeting sometime i'm always trying to get more writer friends to look at my book and tell me what's wrong yes let's do it because i need um i need okay my biggest thing is i have a hard time disciplining and motivating myself so when somebody else is doing it with me then i'm like perfect so then you can secretly judge me for not getting the work done i have definitely wanted to go on like writers retreats so Mm -hmm. if you ever have the time and money to come out here i've got a couple of friends that are in uh california we've talked before about like meeting up and having a writer's retreat where we just spend the whole weekend like writing and drinking wine and (laughs) i would love that so much that'd be so fun right i think it would be a blast we need to get that set up yeah for sure. I would love to do that. I need yeah. more money though. I need to get a, I need to replace need my serving job. I don't even have, I'm still looking for a job. I thought you got that one. The, there was a, they gave me a very unsatisfactory salary offer, mm. especially for a master's degree. Mm. Like for example, not to like shade on people who make certain amounts of money, but for example, um, my sister who has 
a high school diploma would have made more than me. And I was going to have to work a second job to even cover my bills. And I was like, that is not okay. And yeah. so I started looking at other jobs and applying other places. And I was like, look, you guys are really nice and all, but I just applied for six jobs, all of which are going to pay me about 20 grand more a year. So sorry. Yeah. I hate to make it about money because I know people are like, well, that's kind of selfish. I mean, maybe, but I no. really like having a roof over my head. So. Yeah. In this day and age. I really like getting fed. Yeah. Like, they, they expect that food every day. I can't be like, nope, I didn't have it. Yeah. And I honestly think it's like, it's one thing to like a job, but it's, you know, you can't just put yourself on the back burner because you think a job's fun at the end of the day. I don't even know if I would have liked the job. I might have, but I mean, I, not by choice, but I now live in Las Vegas because my husband is military. They made me move here. The cost of living is so high. Yeah. My rent alone is like $2,500 a month. And this place was going to give me like $37,000 a year. I was like, that's like barely going to cover anything. Like I have a car. I have a house. I have a cell phone. I have food. Like I have student loans because I just got a master's degree and that thing wasn't cheap. Like I feel really bad, but I would be better off working at um, check and loan with my sister. I would make more money there. 37 grand what the hell it was horrible i was like i was like so upset too because i told quentin i was like welcome back to bethany's a a complaining brat spoiled that i am i'm emma basically and i even told my husband i was like i feel really bad saying no because they need a they needed me in the job and he was like they can hire anybody Mm -hmm. you don't have to take a job that you don't want that's not going to be beneficial for you just because somebody else told you to take it yeah so they're going to figure it out. It's not your fault. It's not your problem. They offered you a job. You decline the offer. You keep looking. So that's kind of what I'm doing. Still looking. I just can't even imagine how they said 37 grand with a straight face. Like, and I did feel really greedy, but at the same time, it's like, I just, I can't afford to work 60 hours a week and still have to get a second job. How much is that per hour? I think when we did the math, it was like 16 or 17 an hour. So it's not horrible. But that's like barely above minimum wage now, you know? Oh my God. No. 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 Mm -mm. Yeah. It's greedy, but at the same time, I do have bills. Yeah. That being said, if you're listening and you need a librarian, I'm certified in four different specialties. Please call me. (laughs) That's still like my secret dream job is to be a librarian. I know. It depends on why you want to be a librarian. I just, I like to if be If you love libraries. reading, I recommend being an editor or publisher, not a librarian. Yeah. I like to be in libraries. So yeah. maybe I just want to be like a yeah. library regular. Librarians specifically, like 80% of what we do is clerical and organization and logistical. Yeah. So I definitely met people like when I was in college, especially, they were like, I want to be a librarian. And then they would start taking classes and they're like, none of this has to do with why, why I want to be a librarian. And I'm like, what do you think a librarian does? Yeah. And they're like, read all day. And I'm like, that's an editor. Maybe I just <laughs> want to be a bookshop owner. Ooh, you could do that. Maybe that's what I want. I don't know. I just. You could open your own publishing house and then publish my book. There you go. <laughs> I do have the marketing degree. It's right there. Yay. 
I feel like I'm probably going to end up opening, like, I know this is, they technically call it vanity publishers, but I think I might open, like, a publishing company, quote unquote, for my own books. Not to, like, get other people's stuff, at least from the beginning, but that way, like, when I do taxes and stuff, it's from a company. Yeah, I've definitely thought about doing that as well. Yeah. My friend just did that for her books um, and all of her podcast stuff that she's starting. So that it's all through a company name and then she gets paid by the company. Who is this? Uh, my friend Nova. Nova. I want to look up her books. She just, uh, it's a poetry book. This is the one she's got out right now. It's called Reignite Me. Name? Jarvis. But it's really pretty. She did all the work on it. her up. Yeah. I have it like is it right over here? I think it's all it's on my like little bookshelf down there, but it's all kind of stacked together. But yeah, it's really pretty. How do you spell her last name? J A R V I S. Yeah, that's what I did. It, it's. I don't think it's on Amazon. She did it through um, uh, Books a Million, I think. This was her first book she ever published. I'll find it. If I I'm need sure to, I can send you the link too. Okay. Oh, oh Barnes fact. and Noble. It's on Barnes and Barnes and Noble. Oh, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Fun fact for if we want to get back to Emma. <laughs> Um, if anyone recognized the actress who played Miss Taylor, it's because she played Mary in the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Oh. It was driving me nuts. I was, it was like the first 20 minutes of the film. I was like, where do I know this bitch from? <laughs> I hate when and that happens. On IMDb and she was, that's what she was. So if anybody's curious. Nice. I wasn't sure. I, a lot of people looked kind of familiar, but I was like, I had already seen Emma 2020, so I was like, ah, oh, maybe yeah. that's why. For sure. What else should we talk about? I feel like we got sidetracked. I know. I like Knightley's yellow jacket. I think all the outfits in this out- movie were very good. I like them all. I love the scene where it's like watching her, watching Knightley get dressed because it's like all the crap they had to go through to get dressed. And then he's like, I'm going to walk. And I'm like, in all of that, aren't you going to be like, hot i thought it was funny seeing uh emma warming her butt over the fire though i thought that was kind of funny i'm freezing i didn't know why they did that but i was like mood whatever i also you know how in pride and prejudice she's like her hem was six inches deep in mud and then the martin sisters are like covered in mud a little bit yeah i love it because they're at a farm i know i thought it was a nice touch to be honest Oh, I did like how they like hyped up Isabella's freaking out a lot. Yeah, that was nice. I thought that was a good touch. Um, I do like that they emphasized Frank getting cut out of the will, though, um, if he married below his class. Because I feel like it was kind of, by the time you got to that point in the novel where it's revealed, that was kind of forgotten by most of us. So I like that it's like, very quickly before it was revealed that he, they're dating they're like yeah no he's gonna be yeah, cut out of the will like, it's like oh yeah we've been doing this the whole time and it's like wait what yeah it's like whoa why for what reason 
I just found a BuzzFeed article that's 31 thoughts I had after watching Emma. Yeah. And one of them is, <laughs> I'm convinced that Knightley's screenplay just said dramatic walk. And honestly, he went for it. And so did I. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I do love that they screamed at Mrs. Bates's ear. <laughs> oh my gosh. This movie is making me realize I need to up my hat game. Facts. Facts. (laughs) I really feel represented by Miranda Hart's character getting distracted by literally everything in the shop. (laughs) That was a great scene. She's like in the middle of conversation and she's like, ooh, a feather. Ooh, a hat. Ooh, this little purse. I got distracted by the glove table. Like, oh my gosh, that was a hilarious scene. Yeah, that was really good. I love Emma's face every single time Miss Bates has to come and, like, catches her. Emma's like, oh my god. (laughs) Oh, the thought of proposing to someone via a letter makes me anxious. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I did like seeing Knightley running to Emma's house. I thought that was really... That was so sweet, and then it was ruined by Harriet and her drama. Literally. He was going to propose then and there. Yeah, this movie's so good. Oh, I do like that we got to see the wedding, too. Like, oh, you saw basically all the weddings. And that for some reason her brother-in-law was crying at the wedding. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Also, I'm married. If he ever, if Quentin ever... Talk to me like that in front of my father, he would have been slapped very quickly. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell my dad, and my dad loved Quentin, but there's no way he would have tolerated him talking to me like that. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't either. If Quentin talked to me the way that that guy talked to his wife, we would not be married. Yeah. No. Like, it seems like he actively hates Isabella. Right. Like, why are you married? I don't even know. Does not make sense. Like, did she not act that way when he decided to chase after her and propose? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's something that's actually represented a lot in in books and film and TV shows. It's that marriage is like bad. Yeah. You know, that people who are married are depressed and don't have good sex lives and don't love each other and they're unhappy. And I don't get that because... Why would you marry someone like that? I don't know. I get that it's like, haha, this is funny. But like some people who are married are just like happy. Mm-hmm. It's weird. The only reason I'm still married is because I'm happy. If I was unhappy, I wouldn't be married. We would have gotten divorced. Literally. Like I wouldn't be with Daniel if I was not like in love with him. and un- Well, not, not just happy. in love, like genuinely happy. Yeah. Like, I enjoy- yeah. You'll, you'll love this. I know you'll love this. Mm-hmm. Quentin had a meeting yesterday at work and they had to like, they were trying, it, it was an attempt to prove that their friend groups were diverse. Right. Okay. Like you have, like, there was this conversation about like making sure, cause they're in the military and they have to be very cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a conversation about like making sure that your friend group is as diverse as your work group. Mm-hmm. So you're, it was supposed to be like, does your friend group represent people that are from other cultures than you? Okay. Mm-hmm. And in order to do this, the guy started out with, okay, you have to write 10 of your, 
10 of your closest friends, only your closest friends. And Quentin was like, I don't have 10 friends. Yeah, I don't have that many. So he wrote down my name. And then the guy was like, no, no, no spouses. And Quentin was like, that's my only friend. You can't take her away. And I guess the guy was like, well, spouses don't really count as friends. And he was like, I only married her because she was my friend. Mm -hmm. So she counts. And she's all I have on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Dana would have a lot easier time. Like, I would have to think. I felt so bad for Quinton because he's just standing there like, you're supposed to write 10 friends. Eventually, he found, like, he, like, thought of people that he's known his whole life. But even that, he was like, but, like, these are people that I'm, like, friends with at certain times. Like, when I go home to Illinois, I hang out with them. Mm -hmm. That's, like, once every two to three years. And I guess the that he was talking to was like, well, why do you think that you have such a hard time making friends? And Quinton was like, I don't know. Maybe it's because the military moves me around every two years. And for the last two years, no one's been allowed to leave their house. Yeah. So it seems like it would be difficult to make friends. And and I do have to agree with that. It's very difficult to make establishing lifelong friendships when you're moving every two to three years. Yeah. That's why half of the people on my list are internet friends. Like, Morgan and Ruth are two of my closest friends. I trust them implicitly. I've only met them in person three times. The rest of the time, it's all been internet conversations. Yeah. Nova is, like, my go-to friend that, like, I talk to every single day. And I trust with all of my things. Like, if I was like, hey, I am dying. I need you to take over my social media for five minutes and you know all that good stuff i would give it to nova or if i was like hey um my when my father passed away and i needed someone actually i didn't even think of it i was too busy being a ball on the floor um quentin called ruth one of the people i just mentioned quentin called ruth and was like here's all the passwords we really need you to take care of this and ruth was like done not a problem i'll do it right now Mm -hmm. so i mean yeah I don't know. I told Quentin he should have put Scamp down. Yeah, true. <laughs> he does love Scamp. I'm going through this list. I'm trying to figure out which stuff from the, the 30 thoughts I had. One of them is I barely breathed when Knightley and Emma danced, which I agree. That was a very intense scene. It reminded yeah. me of the Pride of Prejudice scene. Yeah, Where I was like, how'd she not know right then and there? Right. And then the scene, again, the scene where he, like, chased her carriage. Oh, I wish I knew what he was going to do. So good. So good. If I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. Pulls at my heartstrings. Love it. Yeah. It's it's beautiful and perfect, and everyone should go watch it. I If you enjoy it less than the Gwyneth Paltrow version i would like you to email me so we can discuss i always like hearing other people's opinions even when they're wrong <laughs> yeah, someone told me that 2005 pride and prejudice was not their favorite and they preferred 1995 and i was like they both have um, their merit 1995 one is definitely a little bit closer to following the book like word for word scene for scene mm-hmm. but there are certain elements of the 2005 one that i think are more easily digestible. It's made much more clear and apparent that they're poor. Yeah. In the first one, it's like they don't seem that poor compared to everybody else. Yeah. In the second one, it's like, damn, these people are not as loaded, right? Yeah. Um, In the first one, I feel like 
Mrs. Bennett is played off as dramatic for funny purposes, but not like as an actual human being. I feel like in the 2005 version, she's much more, she's less of a comedic relief and more of an actual fully developed character. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, like I've said a million times before, I love Charlotte in the second one. Mm-hmm. I love Charlotte being so vulnerable and so exposed and so incredibly honest of the time and representation of women. Mm-hmm. Bringing light and perfectly identifying her circumstances to Lizzie. Lizzie, who has the ability and luxury to say no to a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. Charlotte, who didn't get her first one until 27 years old, which is six years after she should have gotten several. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there's just certain ways in which the second one is superior in terms of interpretation like you know and like we said about mr darcy he's always played as prideful which is fine um but it was really nice to see the 2005 interpretation where some where an actor walked in and said let me see what i can do differently and what he did differently was he's proud but he's also socially inept he's also very awkward he doesn't know how to have conversations with people he doesn't know he doesn't know how to flirt with people he doesn't know he doesn't know how to engage in like polite dancing and conversation and uh, interactions because it's not something he's ever had to do or wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's better than him just being hoity-toity. For sure. Yeah. Personal, personally. Personally. But anyway. All right. That's, I feel like, yeah, that rounds us out. I think we've got all of our opinions, all of our thoughts out there. I and love this movie. And now we get to watch Clueless. Yay! <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Love being on that show. Thanks. I try to keep it fun, you know. If you ever do Hitchhiker's Guide, which I know is like a modern classic, but you should you should email me. I've been wanting to. So it's so good. You'll love it. It's okay. freaking hilarious. Hear me out. I don't really have a plan for my next book. Do you want to do Hitchhikers? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Keep it on. 100%, yes. Okay, cool. Let me know when to... I'll start reading it immediately. Okay, I can just order it and then we separate it out. Yay! Okay, just, just email me. Okay, sounds good. Um, but if you want to hear us talk about Clueless, please consider joining the Patreon. You can join as low as $1. Yay! Yay. And we will see you all there. What? Yeah. yeah. See you in the next chapter. See you in the next chapter. Where can all the people on the internet find you and Prince Guy Fanpod, though? Um, I'm everywhere at Bethany Finger Author, and the podcast is everywhere at Prince Kai Fam Pod. And now for real, we will see you in the next chapter. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. If you want to find me, I'm at Barely Bookish on everything. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, all the good things, Twitter. Um, But in case you didn't hear in the last episode, I will be taking a one-month hiatus uh, just to, like, get some pre-recording done, all that good stuff. So I will be gone the whole month of August, and then episodes will start back up at the beginning of September. So... Please stay tuned for that good stuff. Uh, Hopefully we'll have some fun new content for everybody. 
but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you want to listen to Clueless, please go ahead and join the Patreon, and that should be up on Friday. Okay, thanks everybody, bye!